Welcome back, everybody, to the Full Tank Motorcycle Podcast, where we discuss three of the top stories from motorcycling news, and also we pull in some of the thoughts from our listeners via our Facebook group, which you can find if you go to Facebook and search for Full Tank Motorcycle Podcast. How's it going, Tim? It's going well, man. Yeah. What, what have you been up to? Uh, sweating my nut off this <laughs> week. You've only I got one. The worst second. Singular. Yeah, yeah, it's a long story. Um, no, I so I I had the worst week I think to have borrowed a Triumph Scrambler twelve hundred. Oh that yeah, was, uh, that was pretty painful. <laughs> yeah, Tim was riding a uh, Scrambler twelve hundred press bike uh, to make some content for both our channels, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I did say beforehand, the only thing is like it does get a little warm with those high level pipes. And then you got the worst weather. <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, it was nice enough. Shouldn't complain. But by God, it was like up to 40 degrees one day. I, I genuinely had to drop it off on the second hottest of the days, which was like 38 degrees. And it was, um, it's, it's intolerable. <laughs> it's unbearable. I'm not um, playing a tiny violin. I don't expect any sympathy. <laughs> no. But no, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry for, you know, I borrowed a bike and I'm complaining. About yeah. It. But also, yeah. I think I had an experience which might match it in terms of discomfort because the hottest day, which I think it was about 40, especially 40, in the yeah. Midlands, mm. I went up to Donington Park for a track day with Pirelli. I got to ride this um, Kawasaki Z900 that had been track prepped as well by a race team nice and it was awesome but mm -hmm. my leathers are entirely <laughs> black and <laughs> also our car had a a nail in the front tire so yeah, i couldn't drive the car so i had to ride my tiger to donnington mm. and in the sort of process of you know riding up there doing a whole track day and then riding two hours back in the, like when I set off, it was four or five o'clock when mm. the, the heat was at its peak. Um, yeah, I managed to get some kind of like massive heat rash. <laughs> well, nice. <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah, probably out of the two of us, that's, that sounds worse than mine. At least I was able to, you know, hop off it once I got to work, but having to sit around in leathers. On a oh, man. I've got zip together so you can whip the um, jacket off, you know, between sessions. But still, getting it on and off when mm -hmm. it's that hot. Requires um, two people minimum, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, or, um, you know, a scalpel, basically. Just slice yeah. it off and be done with it. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a bit of a mad one, but it's got a little bit more bearable now. So hopefully there'll be more pleasant miles ahead. And how was the Z900? Was it Z900 you said you were riding, yeah? Yeah, the Z900, it was unbelievable, man. I just um, think it's perfect for someone like me who doesn't ride track loads. And mm -hmm. so to buy a dedicated track bike would be completely unnecessary and probably ill-advised financially. And yeah. so something like that, you could, um, you know, thoroughly enjoy it on the road, but on the track as well for someone who's done a bit but not... Um, particularly advanced like me, yeah, yeah. you know, it's fast, it's fun, it handles well, but also it make a, a decent fun road bike. And some of the upgrades they've done were like the suspension from K-Tech, so not super high end, but mm -hmm. just added a little bit of something, braided hoses and new mm -hmm. brake pads. So the, the brakes were just a bit better. They put mm -hmm. um, 
a full system on it as well to give it a bit more power. Mm -hmm. So it, it was all things that you could do as incremental little upgrades here sure. and there. And then, yeah. of course, I must say, Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4s, brand new for this year. Mm -hmm. So a road tyre. I didn't mm -hmm. have tyre warmers or anything. Um, and uh, they were pretty awesome, actually, although it was hot as hell so yeah <laughs> it was, yeah max i can't really say oh they took ages to warm up um <laughs> it was mad actually when you sort of came into the pits and mm. uh touched the tire it was yeah. it felt like glue you know Did it have um you know when you've been out riding hard on a hot day and you you check your tires and you feel like you're a bit of a hero because it's got that kind of build up around the edges you know where yeah. it's really warmed up and oh you yeah get, you're like oh i was working it hard i must have been riding well chickpea sized blobs along the edge <laughs> yeah basically and, yeah, and yeah. that was me i mean I, I definitely improved through the day um but some of the guys who were properly riding quick i mean the tires looked pretty yeah. um well worn let's say yeah, yeah. but it, i mean it was unusual weather conditions so it was kind of interesting but course, yeah. I, i've always really liked those um diablo rossos you get them on a few bikes like the speed twin and i think you know, some naked roadsters as well. And yeah. I've always thought they're pretty good. Are they different versions though? Because I've had, um, I can get real sort of nerdy on tires, but I've had uh, experiences in the past with some of them where I've not had quite as much confidence. But I know with things, with, usually they've got quite a few different lines with the same name, right? I think one of the things that you'll find is the tires you get on a, um, you know, like a bike from, the dealer, a brand new bike. Yeah. This is the same with cycling and it is a little bit mind blowing, but you might get a pair of Pirelli Diablo Rosso threes, let's say the previous yeah, gen yeah, yeah. out of the dealer. And then you might buy one from a buy a set from a tire shop. And those are not, even though they got the same name, yeah. the ones that they sell to manufacturers to put on their bikes at the factory are not, I think not typically as well made as the ones that you buy that kind of makes sense, yeah. Because no, they do it for cheaper, you know? It's yeah, well, cost obviously, down. They, and they need to cover the sort of bottom line and make it a little bit cheaper to make it more affordable and therefore enticing. But I definitely have, because I went to Garage um, when I changed my tyres last time and he was like, I'm going to stick on some battle axes and I'm like, don't, I'm going to stop you there. I hate them. And he's like, oh, which ones though? Because these ones are actually better. And I was like, oh my God, how am I supposed to, how is the average person <laughs> supposed to navigate that? I just go in and I'm like, you tell me what's a good tyre and you stick it on there. Go for it. Um, okay, let's jump into the first story anyway, mate. And that is, I don't know if you saw this, but it's the Triumph TE1 Electric, which they've been going at for, you know, a year or two now in terms of the development. But we finally yeah. saw the eventual tested specs mm -hmm. and it does look pretty impressive. What were your thoughts, mate? Yeah, I mean... It's tough to say. I mean, based on any other sort of bike parameters, the specifications I've seen are impressive, right? Without riding it, you don't really know because you do lose something in translation of just looking at numbers. Totally. Yeah, it's it's so-so. I mean, it is very impressive. It, obviously, outside of that, though, you have people's anecdotal evidence of, you know, it's, it, it feels quick and, and the look on their face. You can kind of read from how excited they sound when they're saying it. Mm-hmm. You can really read um, whether someone's being truthful, or honest, and it's a genuine feeling. Um, but when they're saying about it feeling crazy quick and almost sort of scary fast, I can believe that. Having ridden a few electric bikes, I would say that's that's largely true. 
Um, it's that often. sort of feeling, isn't it, where you're you've pinned it open, yeah. And I think it's the lack of gear shifts. I mean, yeah, that, that's what makes it feel quite exhilarating. Is is that ability to go very quickly from naught to 60, 70, 80, and yeah. there's no. It just feels like it's never going to slow down. Like it, yeah, it, yeah. It really yeah, is impressive. Um, so my first uh, impression of it, or you and you saw, because I was obviously I was watching yours, because the best place to uh, find Thanks, mate. <laughs> genuine is, um, and I saw the the horsepower figures, and you go like compared to the say the speed triple, um, it's maybe a, it's like two three miles per hour. Sorry, horsepower down from the speed triple for peak power. Sure, but it doesn't tell a full story, does it? Because if for a for a combustion engine to get up to peak power. It yeah. needs to build up and build up and build up. Whereas for an electric motor, when it's getting to peak power, it's pretty much accessible instantaneously. The limiting factor is how much grip you'd have with the rear wheel. So mm. the motor will just go like that, straight to its peak power, which is the thing that you kind of miss by looking at just the specifications on paper. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that horsepower is insane. It's more than it can put down, realistically, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's the torque, I think. Yeah, peak power would be power is a product of torque and rev. So, yes. yeah, yeah. So, that peak torque that just comes instanta- in- instantaneously from very few revs, yeah, they just have to, um, certainly with the zeros and stuff, give it an, an initially quite a gentle delivery. You don't yeah. have the clutch. And so, yeah, you can't use how much it's no. able to produce. And that makes me think, well, what about like, pro riders who who could train themselves to to kind of handle it like how much torque could they give it down low yeah, yeah if yeah. they just kind of like opened it up a little bit but they had um brandon pash who is um well he's well known now for that race at daytona last year where he pipped someone on the line on his um street triple or daytona type bike nice. uh, and it, it was literally slingshot on the final straight and then nice. edged it by a millimeter yeah, yeah. so that, yeah he's um Pretty experienced, and and uh, you know the the verdict from him was that it was very impressive. Apparently, so inevitably, you know, it's the way that racing is going to go. And we also saw a couple of weeks back that um, Ducati launched their Moto e bike, so that's the electric version of MotoGP. Mm-hmm. And um, at the moment, it's Energica that provide the bikes for that. But next season, Ducati are taking over. What was kind of weird is like the bikes are really really similar. The TE one. And okay. the Ducati Moto E. The yeah, weight's yeah. not that different. Yeah. Uh, the power's not that different. The charging yeah. time's not massively different. And they've got some tech that's the same. So, um, like, they're liquid-cooled, I think, and they have separate cooling circuits for the battery and motor so that you can... Because mm-hmm. they're going to get to different temps, so you can actually sort of actively cool them Makes sort sense. of specifically to get more performance from it. So, yeah, yeah. mega impressive. Um, it's just a shame, like you say, we're talking about, oh, how does it feel to ride and what have other people said? It's a shame mm-hmm. we won't be able to because, I you know, know, unless you get invited to ride the <laughs> Moto e-bike, mate. Yeah, one of 12 people that have ridden it so far are all within the Triumph family. Yeah, no, it, it is a shame. It's, there is a point to it, I suppose. It's an exercise. I mean, there's the same with the new concept cars as well and concept bikes. Um, it's to show what you can make. Yeah, for I sure. Guess. And also, you know, both... And they're using it to learn as well. That's part of it is, you know. Well, both Ducati and Triumph are effectively doing the same thing. Yeah. They don't think the market's ready. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, how do we learn about electric 
uh, motorcycles and how to make them so that our knowledge isn't so far behind when we do get to that era. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just they funded it in different ways. Triumph got a government grant from Innovate UK that mm -hmm. funds sort of R&D projects within the UK. Mm. And um, Ducati have got the Moto E situation so it's good publicity for them and yeah seems like a good way to do it without actually having to build something for the race it's, it's better to do it with somebody else's dime as well isn't it you for know. sure oh Rather always <laughs> like anything in life <laughs> yeah uh actually what triumph said was that um the price as well is prohibitive to put in one on the road at the moment so i'll splice yeah. in here a clip of steve Sargent, head of product at triumph talking about that one of the challenges that you have with electric vehicles obviously is they're still quite expensive i mean we've seen um you know obviously with some of the other products in the market that they haven't gained huge traction in terms of sales volumes it's a huge amount of investment to go from developing something that is a um, prototype vehicle that we've used for our learning and understanding to actually getting this into a showroom as something that you can buy. And quite simply, the, the cost of things like batteries, for example, and also the motors mean that this would have to come in at a significantly higher price than uh, an existing speed triple, for example. And I think until the technology develops to a level where those two things are a little bit closer, it's probably not going to be this vehicle that you see first. Anyway, let's jump over to some comments on our Facebook group. And mm -hmm. I picked out three of the ones that kind of caught my interest. I don't know if you do the honours, Tim. Oh, yeah, I've read them out. So, yeah, you've got uh, Vincenzo... I'm going to... Oh, I don't want to butcher his name. The An Angelis? That's all right, mate. I think you, you did a decent job there. Accent? <laughs> I'm sorry, Vincenzo. Uh, he said, let's just hope that by the time they decide to release an electric bike, things haven't taken another leap forward, which I, I kind of agree with because I'm not sure. It's difficult. I don't know whether I not sort of delve over to the, the car market as well, but it's something that they're obviously competing with as well is how much time and investment and money and investment do you put into it if eventually it goes a different direction you don't yeah. want to go down a dead end when you're investing time so yeah it's a tricky one and with bikes it does make less sense than cars in certain ways whether or not they decide to reignite hydrogen power as well mm -hmm. in that field or whether they find synthetic fuels which is a new thing that i heard of recently yeah things like that so it is a tricky one um, but like you said, they, they need to start at least playing with it so that they're, you know, they've got some knowledge if it does eventually go that way. And like you said, it's probably quite a safe method of practicing that. Yeah, I, I did actually think the same as Vincenzo, like uh, a few weeks back when I was sort of uh, getting my questions together and stuff for going to Triumph. I, like, I'd agree definitely that you don't want to wait too long, I suppose. But then yeah. there are certain things about it that are just uh, a constant. You're going to have a big, heavy battery. It's just, it might change in how it's structured inside or what yeah, it can yeah. deliver. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a motor. And also, you're going to have to have some kind of control unit for them. You're going to have to have somewhere to charge it. So mm. you're going to have to put a charging socket somewhere. And so I think the understanding of how to package that and how to organize that and then how that affects the dynamics of the bike and how it handles mm. and the weight distribution. How do you attack attach a chassis to to that because you know the battery is like you know how ducati um the engine is the majority of the structure and then they've got like a little frame, yeah, yeah. frame 
and mm-hmm. then a subframe and then the swing arm. Yeah. Um, they've done that on their mo- Moto e-bike. Yeah, but not yeah. even in the way that... I think the Triumph still has like beams around the end, around the battery. So... Yeah. Um, but they call it a stress member, kind of don't they, often when they're Yeah, that, about that's still it. a stress member. But the, the way the Ducati is different is there's no beams around it. It's literally an engine. Oh. With a, it's like a, a little headstock bolted to the front where the forks go on. Subframe, mm-hmm. swing arm, and that's it. And it, it, they've done the same both. Uh, when I said there were similarities between Ducati and Triumph's approaches, that was one of them, is mm-hmm. that um, both are building it around the battery effectively because it's just yeah. such a big heavy item. So totally agree with what Vincenzo is saying there. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. But mm. I do think there are some, you know, some learnings there that are probably consistent. Oh, it's I'll, not going to be wasted at all, is it? Nothing in it is going to be wasted information for them. You'd hope not. Mm. And, uh, I, I, you know, they say as well that they have got electric bikes in development now. So it's not like they've finished yeah, this exactly. project and they've, stopped yeah uh that's uh something that i actually asked about well what when can when will we see an electric triumph and they're like yeah, yeah. can't give you dates but we're working on it now yeah exciting for me uh john beckett then added that sound for me is everything i get great enjoyment from my bikes when not even ringing them out just because of the noises did you hear the electric triumph no Oh, there's a clip in my video of it. But I mean, you've ridden electric um, motorcycles before. It's probably most like an Energica because it does have a, it has some gears that basically, you know, the the speed the motor's spinning is not appropriate for the back wheel. And so uh, you've got some uh, changes to the ratio through the final drive, of course, but there's actually some some gears as well that do a little bit of the work. And well, the effect is that they make a really quite pronounced w- yeah. whining, whirring sound. So Because they do all, they do sound different. I mean, it's it's not the same as the way that a combustion engine sounds different when you try, try different configurations. But they definitely do sound different. When we went on the Zero and we went on the Energica, yeah. you can tell a difference between the sound. And the same with the Harley, actually, as well, the Livewire. Mm. They do have a different sound. I did notice as well, it's, it's, a, it's chain drive, right? So it's geared and then it's chain driven to the I back. I think it was belt, the TE1. Oh, is it belt? Yeah. That would make, because the thing with the Energica as well is that you just heard the slapping chain the whole time as well. Yes. Which you don't normally hear and isn't a nice noise. It's a bit so, of a turn off. Yeah, a little bit of a turn off. So it's nice to have, I think the, uh, the belt drive is a more sensible option for that. I would agree. Mm. Um, I didn't necessarily like the sound of the energy compared to the Zero. I think the Zero sounds, it's got that kind of spaceship noise to it, whereas the Energica kind of howls and in yeah. a bit of a nervous sounding way. Yeah. And I think that's probably the, what the uh, Triumph is most uh, similar to. It's got that, because I think the Energica also has gearing like that as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, w- I will say, having ridden the Energica for a couple of weeks, I got. Um, that one delivered by English Electric Motor Company yeah, yeah. who deal them. Uh, it's weird how many people looked around when it, when you're just riding through yeah, town. Yeah. People are like, "What is that I can, coming?" Yeah, I can um, believe it. Yeah, but it depends if you genuinely like the sound of you know motorcycles, and that's the reason that you uh, enjoy a loud bike, or is it if you just do it for attention? Uh, well, yeah. What are you talking to me? <laughs> I'm not an attention grabbing person, kind of guy. But yeah, then then they do do that. I think 
I'd like to hear them just a little bit louder, to be honest. Yeah, I think, do you know one of the ones that really, and sorry to keep going back to cars, but it's one of the ones that does make me turn around and go, ooh, what is that? Are the Porsches. Have you ever had yeah. them drive past you? They, that, there's something about the choice of sound they've got, which actually sounds That's premium. fully synthetic there, isn't it, that sound? It's like piped out. Yeah, but that's the thing, is I think... I think with electric bikes, they need to lean into and embrace the synthetic noise and makes, I mean, without adding too much extra weight, but I think they could possibly go as, you know, to as far as adding a sound to it. For me, I mean, I feel like you could do it artificially. There are cars as well. I think we've spoken about this before, um, where they actually have internally, they have uh, a sound that you can choose. I'm not into it, mate. Oh, fair enough. Then I just think it's quite. It gives you a few options, doesn't it? That you could possibly make it sound like something else. This is like the um, Audis, isn't it? Where they um, play the sound of like a V8 in the cabin through the mm-hmm. speakers, but it's actually could, like a diesel. It's not a diesel, but it's like a hy- <laughs> yeah, hybrid, exactly. isn't it? But presumably, you could choose. You'd be like, Do you know what? I feel like having a triple, or I feel like having a, a V twin <laughs> today. You could choose between them. But I agree. I completely see where he's coming from because I. When I'm riding a bike, it is part of the enjoyment. It's part of the sort of sensory enjoyment of the bike is hearing the engine, hearing the bike do its work. Mm. Um, and it does often also mean you don't feel like you need to go quite as quick True. sometimes because you've just got that other sort of level of enjoyment. So I sympathize with that. And I think I, would st- I wouldn't struggle. You just adapt and you move over to it. But I think I would miss it. For sure. I agree. I'd miss it. But um, yeah, I'm open to... To some ideas. I'm not yeah. I'm not instantly warm to that fake noise sound, but for them to be louder or have a yeah, like the Porsche style. Like the Porsche noise, yeah. Sort of completely synthetic noise is kind of cool. Uh the last comment on this story is from Philip Welsh, who kind of adds the thought that electric motorcycles could help with congestion and parking in big cities. And uh, you can already see it with the little electric hire scooters that you see around. I mean, in Bristol, we've got loads of those, mate. And mm-hmm. uh, I've used them a few times. They're pretty impressive. But Philip adds that those are just short distance machines. So mm. uh, for longer distance riding, what about hiring big electric bikes and having a hire scheme for those so that you basically yeah. just hire it, drive it somewhere, drop it off, and then it gets charged up and then ready for someone yeah. else to use? Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> so I think I've got a few thoughts on that in that I agree the short distance stuff. I think the problem a lot of people have, um, or the industry has as a whole, is that people want a one-size-fits-all solution, which doesn't, well, it, you know, it kind of exists and kind of doesn't exist, but also it, there are other ways to go, aren't there? I mean, you know, if you're doing a short trip, having something smaller is absolutely fine, and then having something like this, um, for longer distances or like you say, a longer distance bike is a decent option. The other thing that people have a tendency towards is, is wanting to own it. And the ownership may be something that we don't necessarily need either. It's trickier with bikes. I mean, I think with cars, people are more on board with having a lease or something like that, where, you know, it's, yeah. it's a depreciating, depreciating asset. So there's no necessary point in, in owning it yourself unless you've got some kind of connection to it. Bikes, mm. you do have a bit more of a connection. It's more of a with-your-heart purchase, so I understand why people would want the ownership. Um, but, I mean, we get to borrow bikes quite often. It's quite nice to have the variety and just sort of flip between or jump between whenever you get the chance. That's interesting, mate. I think, um, you know, when you think about higher schemes 
with the little scooters and bicycles and even maybe some like moderate sized electric motorcycles, generally you're thinking of the same model over and over. But when you yeah. think of Zipcar or something like that, where you hire cars, it can be yeah. actually quite a, a range of different models. And so yeah. to have that opportunity with electric motorcycles would be pretty cool. The other thing as well is I used to use Zipcar a lot because when I lived in London, we didn't yeah, yeah. hire a car. Uh, sorry, we didn't own a car, so we used Zipcar. And they would always be smelly and full of crumbs and stuff. <laughs> Good thing about motorcycles, yeah. no glove boxes. And True. also the wind just blows off any crumbs. So yeah, exactly. I yeah, don't know. <laughs> but I, I'm, I, I think it's like you say, because we borrow quite a lot of bikes, it's very difficult to talk about ownership yeah. in, in a way that is that meaningful to perhaps people listening. It's such a fortunate position to be able to swap bikes that I think, yeah, that'd be great. But yeah. Um, it definitely has its pitfalls hiring stuff. And there are times with Zipcar where I've got stuck somewhere with oh, some kind of fault or the car wasn't where it was meant to be. And and if you're using it for practical purposes, yeah, yeah. you've got to be somewhere on time. It, it's it's kind of um, stitched me up a few times. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a case-by-case scenario, I'm sure. And if you know, you're using it to commute or you use it more frequently, then obviously it's better to own it um, or, I guess, have some sort of finance thing on it. I understand that. But if you're going to do a little trip, and I know loads of people that just go out for a couple of weekends, you know, a year, mainly in the summer, for them, they probably would be as financially well-off just renting it rather than buying it and servicing it and everything else that goes with it. Yeah. Agreed, mate. Anyway, on to the next story. And this one, mate, I picked up from Ride Apart. And they were talking mm. a little bit about um, some of the new laws that might come in in the EU, where it's going to be mandatory for cars to be fitted with the speed limiter feature. So you can, you know, set it to 70 so that you don't wander over. But mm. also data loggers. So I think by 2024, uh, they're looking at some of those features being mandatory on cars and mm-hmm. ride apart are kind of speculating as to how long it will be before we see the same thing on motorcycles. And this is a very tricky subject, mate. I really wanted to hear what you think, because on the one hand, if mm. you're not doing anything wrong, then there's no <laughs> problem. On the True. other hand, motorcyclists are idiots. <laughs> largely wow <laughs> way to alienate well there's yeah. just something you know, know you, you, you know what you it is mate away, you? Yeah. oh this is it you know you get on your bike and you, and you think i'm just going out for a nice sensible ride <laughs> and then it's a sunny day yeah clear you road music going you're feeling good and then you just creep over yeah a little bit uh i've got a few thoughts on it i think it's it is a nuanced argument and topic to discuss i think so it's 2024 my first initial instinct is that it's less worrying than maybe the headlines would make that appear because if it's 2024 before they're implementing it on brand new vehicles yeah that means a long while before it's actually if ever on older vehicles Mm. for one so less panicky than it might appear from just reading the headline sure the next one is that it, uh, I can't see them voluntarily giving away the revenue they get from speed tickets and fines. As in, the police make a decent amount of money on uh, speed fines. Of course they do, mate. Yeah. I can't see them voluntarily giving that away because that's a lot of money that they'd just be, you know, peeing away. 
<clears throat> the next thing is that in terms of how I personally feel about a an automatic speed limiter on my vehicle, I think there are a few different situations where arguably that isn't a safe thing. I don't know if the... I don't think it says auto speed limiter. I think it's oh, just okay. the speed limiter feature where so it's a little bit like the, the secondary cruise control. I'm with you. And you can override it. I don't know if you've ever noticed this on some cars. When you press the accelerator right down, at the end, if you fully push it, there's a little click. And that is for when you're flat out and you've got the speed limiter on and you press yeah. it the final click to override it. So you yeah. could have a similar feature on bikes. Okay. But... I agree that, look, this is where it's going. The little higher scooters in Bristol that I've mm. tried out, the electric scooters that you can zip around on and you just scan it to get on, yeah. they will automatically slow down in pedestrianized areas or shared use footpaths. Yeah. Um, and also there was a concept for a BMW type e-bike that they showed off when we went on the launch of the CE04 electric scooter. Yeah. And that had similar features where it was like, we can use GPS to make sure that people are riding responsibly in the right areas. So mm. surely if they're talking <clears throat> about data loggers, if they're talking about, um, you know, speed limiters, at some mm. point there's going to be tech where it says you can only go this speed on certain roads. And I agree, yeah. there's going to be some dangers there perhaps i think you're gonna say if you're overtaking and you need to get a move on there, there are yeah there are times there are genuinely times where you know if someone isn't driving very safe, safely or sensibly next to you sometimes you just genuinely have to you have to have that kind of buyout you know that sort of safety extra thing and you don't use it very often it might only affect one percent of your journey but the consequences of that one percent are quite high so I think there are times where possibly you would need to override it. I get it, mate. As a biker, sometimes you're, yeah. you know, you've got to see yourself as invisible and vulnerable yeah. and, and occasionally get yourself out of sticky situations. What I will ask though, and I'm purely being devil's advocate here, mate, because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd hate to ride a bike with a speed limiter, to be honest. But mm -hmm. uh, what percentage of the times that you have to go over the speed limit are down to being in a dangerous situation versus um, getting carried away? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it's 0.1%. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is a low percentage. I don't mean, I can think of one that I did recently in, in Wales where I was overtaking this car because he was going slow through whatever sort of sections. And obviously, as soon as I pulled out to overtake, he decided to be a, an unbridled prick mm. and just boot it. And I was like, well, fuck you. So obviously, like, it just, it, it was an unsafe situation for both of us that he created. And I was like, just through being an arsehole. But if I then had a speed limit on it and we both had a speed limit on it, he could effectively block me from moving in. Yeah. Which I think, judging by his previous, possibly would have been a um, in play for him. Um, you know, on those situations, there are occasional situations. I'm just saying there are a few situations where I think it, it overlooks. Yeah. You need like an emergency switch or something. Exactly. But how, how, if you had an emergency switch, how often are you going to use it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it's an emergency a lot of emergencies today <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> uh, i put it to the facebook group actually mm. and asked um if it had put you off riding your bike if it had a speed limiter would you just give up uh, mm. ben hardy said it sounds like a nanny state 
totally agree. I yeah. I generally don't like stuff like I was talking to um, Lamb Chops, John at Lamb Chops Rides the other day. We were talking about dash cams for some reason, and he mm. just says generally I don't like the culture of um, yeah, you know, people dobbing each other into the police with dash cam footage and stuff like that. And I agree that I, I don't like all being watched all the time and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. I think uh, we're on the same page there, Ben. And then Frank Triple said he wouldn't put me off riding my bike, but I don't under, don't quite understand why and who they're trying to protect. Just mm. let us go and make the revenue off the fines, like you said. So, Tim, where big boys and go. big girls can handle ourselves out there. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty much to the same effect, isn't it? Like, there's no need to yeah. watch everybody all the time. Just take your money and leave yeah, it Yeah, exactly. Well, no, and I, I also think that you can drive within the speed limit and still still drive dangerously. Yes, that's, true. That's Very also true. a possibility. It doesn't sell, solve people driving like ourselves. So I think it'll generally come down to um, they'll do a test, of, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And if they see the percentage of fatalities or accidents come down... It'll just come in, you know? Oh, I, I fully expect this to come in in our lifetime, yeah, for sure. And um, using the road is about safe travel, basically. And getting your kicks, I guess, is on the track. But that's the very um, straight line way to look at it. It's not mm. realistic for everyone to go on the track all the time. It's not really realistic to go out for a driver, not occasionally start enjoying yourself. So, you know... <laughs> Yeah, you're trying to take away the enjoyment of driving, trying to make life as boring, sort of grey mass. Exactly, mate. Exactly. We'd all just go in a car, wouldn't we? Because it's warmer and... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on to the next one, my friend. This one's a little bit more controversial, let's say. And I didn't mm. quite realise it until I published my YouTube video about it. Yeah. And it's the G310RR. Mm -hmm. which is a new mini sports bike from BMW that's just been launched in India. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've read up about it. I mean, what were your initial impressions of the bike? Um, so, yeah, it comes from the, or it's closely linked with the Apache. It's, I say closely linked. It's the same bike, isn't it? The Apache. RR. TBS, big Indian manufacturer. Yeah. They make the 310R and the 310GS for BMW, and they also yeah. have made their own sports bike called the Apache RR. And mm -hmm. then BMW have come out with their G310RR, and yeah, it is the exact same bike. But yeah. I'll, give you a, I'll give you a guess on three key differences. <laughs> three key differences, okay. Uh, the lights. <laughs> <laughs> well... Visually, it, the, the paint yeah, is different. Yeah, The tyres different. are slightly worse on the BMW, I think. They're <laughs> oh. uh, Pilot Streets, Michelin Pilot Streets, instead, instead of Road 5s, which are banging. Mm -hmm. uh, number three, you've got to be able to guess it. The difference between the two bikes. Apart from the badge? Yeah. The dash. When you go in the dealer, there'll be a difference. Oh, because it's BMW? <laughs> what? <laughs> the price! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I should have guessed that one. You've got the BMW yeah. tax on it. So, yeah, of it's course. basically this exact same thing. Mm. Got a BMW badge, mm. fancy logo, mm -hmm. and some worse tires. And, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a good amount more expensive. And so uh, that's what kind of seems to have 
irked a few yeah, people. Yeah, you know what? I didn't even think it was so stupid and it's so obvious, but that isn't even something I really thought of. I know you obviously mentioned it as well, but yeah, when you think about it a little deeper, that does annoy me. The fact that you're just going to slap on a BMW badge and then charge me more for the privilege when I can buy the literally the exact same bike and save myself some money. Interestingly, I had a comment on the YouTube video from someone who used to work in a BMW dealership and he said, look, most of the people that came in just didn't care about the price. They just wanted a BMW. And so he thinks it'll sell well. And those I, people- I still think it'll sell well. Mm. And ultimately, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you can't buy the Apache here. You can't buy the TBS here. You can't get the BMW yet either. It's just launched in India. But I'd be very surprised if we didn't get it at you know, a l- later date, sorry. Yeah, uh, Because we've sure. already got the, the R and the GS. So In terms of like a European market, we don't sell TBS. So there sure. isn't a distributor. So there's the sort of, I guess if the cost is that it's their cost to distribute and actually release it in Europe, then yeah, it makes sense. But if you've literally got the same bike lined up side by side in India if who the hell I guess people do because they want the badge and they want the BMW name but it's literally the same bike specs wise as well it's not it's quite nice it's got this like portrait uh, TFT dash on it mm-hmm. but you know the specs are pretty average in terms of performance it's a single and uh, you've got some other pretty tasty bikes in that end of the market so the ktm rc390 which is one that i've tested recently and i really like that bike it was a lot of fun and then the r3 and the um ninja 400 from kawasaki yeah all of these bikes look pretty good value compared to the the g310 unfortunately it's a fun little market i actually they are good fun bikes to play on Mm. i'm assuming you felt the same with the ktm but i've yeah they're great, aren't they? Because I tried the um, the KTM 390 Duke. I've ridden the G310. Have you ridden the G310? Not yet, actually. Okay. So I must give it a try. Yeah, give it a go. I mean, it's uh, out of the two of them, the KTM is the better performer. Right. Um, yeah, out of the two of them, it's the more exciting bike, I suppose. But I did enjoy the G310. I thought it was fun to play with. Yeah, well, um, maybe it'll be the same with this RR. But... Uh, it seems like it's got a difficult start to life. That's all I'll yes. say from the from the comments on the video. And most of my commenters over there are from India. 10% mm-hmm. of my audience on YouTube is India. Mm-hmm. So that makes it their third biggest country. So um, it's not even, you know, overseas opinions about a bike um, yeah. that's been sold elsewhere. It's legitimately from people who know the market there. So it's yeah, kind of yeah. interesting. I got one comment from the Facebook group from Jonathan Cosner. Mm. And I, my question there was, does it cheapen the RR brand? Like, you know, you see, I don't know. Yeah. Triumph making the Bajaj bikes. Mm-hmm. And also um, Envy Augusta are talking about doing some smaller capacity bikes with a Chinese manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Norton, before they changed hands, were talking about doing something similar. And you've got the same here. And I thought, well, it looks exactly the same as a, an S1000 RR. Mm-hmm. And also that's like um, such a well-loved bike mm-hmm. and that perhaps maybe it's uh, diluting the premium BMW and RR line of bikes. Mm-hmm. But Jonathan says that he doesn't think so. He'd love to see BMW expand the RR brand, their sports bikes, and get more involved in racing. So he'd love to see them enter a middleweight cup twin. Wait, middleweight twin, sorry. I don't know where Cup Twin came from. 
I think I was reading ahead there. Yeah, a middleweight twin RR into the Motor, um, Motor America's Twins Cup, which is the one that the Aprilia R- RS660 um, yeah. won last year, mm. I believe, and quite mm-hmm. convincingly. But you've also got stuff like the R7s in there. Yep. That'd be pretty cool. And they do have a twin cylinder engine in the F900s. Yep. I don't know if that's too big in capacity to compete there. Possibly. They used to, was it, it an 800 they had previous to that as well? True. Um, quite a lot. So, I mean, it's, yeah, they'd have to develop something new, partially new at least. So, understand. I don't know. I don't know what the requirements are for the um, Moto America. If it's, twins I mean, if it's, it's a, a twin. power requirement, if it's a, yeah, if it's the yeah. fact that it's a twin and then a power requirement, then the 900 wouldn't make a difference, but I don't know. I so. think the 900 makes similar power to the RS660, doesn't it? It's about 100 horses or something. Yeah, so yeah, it might that. be all right. You never know. But I agree. It'd be kind of nice to have a full family of sports bikes there. The, the S1000RI is so yeah. widely regarded as like one of the best and yeah. great bike to ride. You know, apply that knowledge further down. But the thing is, sports bikes across the board just don't seem to sell that well. They're great. They're the, they're the, the thing that people love to read about and watch videos about. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the figures in the... In the um, dealers aren't that great and if you look they're at they're only t- going to put money into what sells aren't they the, for sure. pointless otherwise yeah you look at the top 10 selling bikes in the uk and um i don't think there are sports bikes on that list it's the gs's the interceptor mm-hmm. 650 the trident 660 the mt07 mm-hmm. and then stuff mm-hmm. like the the sportiest thing you probably find in the top 10 if i remember correctly it'd be something like the kawasaki ninja thousand sx which is a, a sports tourer those yeah. kinds of bikes sell well. Yeah, yeah. But very rarely like legit sports sports bikes that are focused. True. Unless I mean that's well, I guess we know more from the UK market. I don't know globally, but I think it's probably similar sort of story elsewhere. What I would say is that um because this is why Aprilia and Yamaha developed or um expanded into that, right? With the RS six sixty um or the um R7. Uh, they developed it so they could race it so that people can go, that's a fast bike. I want to buy the one that wins the races. That's what sort of racing has always been used for leverage yeah, in terms of getting the market. Yeah. So if they were going to do it, I yeah, they would have to, I would imagine, enter it into some kind of competition to say, look, it's got pedigree and it does perform. The thing about the so Aprilia like, as well and <clears> the... Um, uh, Ninja 650 and the SV650 and the R7 is they're all like these platform bikes where it's one engine typically, maybe in slightly different state of tune. And mm-hmm. then a lot of the chassis like similar as well, but it's just across multiple models. So with the Aprilia, you've got the Tuono Naked, the Tuareg Adventure bike, same with the, you know, the R7 being the MT07 XSR700, Tracer 7. Mm-hmm. Tenere 700. Yeah, yeah. Mad. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's the only way to make little middleweight sports bikes is probably if you've already got something to put in them. True. But it's a nice thought. I'd love to see that from BMW. I'm just not sure if it'll happen. Anyway, Tim, I think that just about rounds things up for today. Hopefully mm-hmm. it won't be too long until the next one. <laughs> don't jinx it. But yeah, no, exactly. I I'll think it's been about soon. six months. Yeah, don't we? We won't mention that. <laughs> we're on a roll, though. I feel like. We're, well, actually, I'm on holiday next week. But oh, let's, do week, <laughs> let's do it the week. Let's do it the week after. Start. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll speak to you at some point in the future. Thanks to everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time. Mate, we smashed it today.